This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, please go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. What the leaders have said in Canada and Australia and Paris, where they have felt it so potently and personally, they've all said quite clearly that the battle is against Islamic extremism. Why is that so hard to say? Well, it's not hard to say, but it's not the only kind of extremism we face. Much of it Islamic, you're absolutely right, uh, but some of it not. So we're going to focus on all the different kinds of extremism with a heavy focus on people who do this in the name of Islam. But there are other forms of extremism well, that are this. also what other, important. Tell me, what other forms of extremism are particularly troubling and compelling to you right now and that was the answer from marie harf u.s state department spokesperson when uh martha mccallum at fox who's asked her to name some of the other forms of extremism the white house will be focusing on uh josh ernest had a similar comment here to address all that and more the weekly standards bill crystal bill thanks so much for your time uh, my pleasure that was that was a fantastic exchange wasn't it good <laughs> <laughs> just i would i keep asking people if you want to say that every other group has extremism problems and radical problems like islam just name one name one and you get back the crickets why is the white house working so hard to avoid the problem that even the french have acknowledged uh, i don't know you know uh, we've been calling it that for 15 years at the weekly standard and uh and before, it's not only before 9-11, uh, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't be exposed to all kinds of other bad things, including Putin and, and Chinese aggression in the, in the South China Sea and et cetera. But uh, to understand, it kind of helps to understand the enemy you're fighting. And uh, some, a lot of the enemies we're fighting right now are enemies who fight in the name of Islam, whose appeal is in the name of Islam, who are able to recruit, uh, unfortunately, sometimes in the name of Islam, especially when they appear to be winning and the poor moderate Muslims appear to be abandoned by people like us. So I think intellectually and, and just as an actual matter of policy, it's kind of important to, to tell the truth because otherwise you tend to uh, you know, have foolish policies. Uh, the uh, argument is that, well, if you confront Islam the way that, say, the president of Egypt is trying to do, calling for a reformation, that it alienates would-be allies. It makes the problem itself greater. Is that true? Well, the president of Egypt is a believing Muslim. He, that's, uh, it's always been identified that way. He gave a very eloquent speech uh, in which he said we need a reformation within Islam. We need an enlightenment within Islam. Uh, shouldn't we be helping him? Isn't that actually the, the key, is to precisely help people like that? If you don't say the word Islam, then how do you help moderate Muslims? So you have to say, look, you know, this is being ha happening in the form of Islam. There's strains of Islam that, that encourage this. There's too much tolerance of it in a lot of parts of the Islamic world. But we, of course, stand, we have fought on behalf of and with Muslims in Iraq and in Afghanistan and in Bosnia. Uh, uh, more Muslims have been killed by uh, by Islamic terrorists than Christians or Jews. 
So I think it's easier to make the case, actually, to the Islamic world if we are honest about what we're confronting. If we stand with CC, if we don't, we just seem silly. I mean, it's not even. I'm not even that offended by it in the sense that right. I don't know that it really, you know, does it really? I don't know, damage our foreign policy that much. I, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. It just seems childish, and it does give the impression, though, that we're not serious about the war that we're in. I think that's a terrible impression to get. That helps the Osama bin Ladens, the Islamic states, the Hezbollahs. Uh, the terrorists of the world the most, the sense that the U.S. is so somehow timid and wrapped around the axle and possessed by political correctness, the U.S. government can't even just say what we're doing. The decision of the president not to attend, I think he was genuinely taken aback that he was expected. I, 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 I got the sense you're watching the White House as they went through lie after lie. Oh, he couldn't, he didn't have time, we couldn't do security, that, and finally admitted, yeah, we should have been there. That he just didn't think it was that big of a deal. Is that the fun at the heart of the Obama administration when it comes to confronting Islamist terror? That it's just not, it's a problem, but not that big of a problem? Yeah, and it's a problem they want to get beyond. And Obama has said this at times. You know, we want to bring this era of war, war and terror to an end. We want to bring the era of all these far, unfortunate foreign engagements that Bush got us involved in to an end as much as possible. We want to focus on nation building at home. We want to focus on an Iran deal. We want to focus on climate change. They've said that. I mean, that's not a, you know, and so it's consistent with that, that, you know, he hurries to a climate change conference, right? Pointless discussions with a bunch of world leaders, most of whom pretend they're going to reduce their emissions like China and others, and then they, of course, do nothing. So he hurries to climate change conferences. But when there's something like this, sort of spontaneous and organic, there really would be a moment to stand in solidarity with the civilized world against barbarism. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't go. It is very revealing. It's revealing that Netanyahu, I think very much to his credit, went even though the French, in their cowardly way, didn't want him there. Because you know what? I mean, he, uh, cartoonists were killed fighting, uh, who were making fun of Islamic extremism. Jews were killed for being Jews. And he thought, you know what? I've got to be there. It's the right thing to do. Obama doesn't seem to be quite as uh, possessed by the fight against uh, barbarism on behalf of civilization. You know, uh, here in America, I, I, I see citizens rising up demanding better behavior from their journalists. You know, you've got stop censoring on behalf of the bad guys. You, you get a sense that they're rising up in the, in the case of the president not being there. I, I think a lot of Americans who are not particularly political were embarrassed when they looked up on their TV or saw the preacher the next day and there was no one there. Is this a political opportunity for the other team, for the Republicans, to be the party that's not going to leave that space open? I think it very much is, and I really agree with you about people being embarrassed as Americans. When I hear Marie Herf there in that segment you played, when I see Jem Psaki, the other uh, State Department spokesman, it's embarrassing. They're, they're not speaking for the Democratic Party. They're not speaking for Barack Obama as a person. They are, the, they are on the government payroll. They are standing at the roster of the State Department of the United States of America, not the State Department of the Obama administration. It is that, too, of course. And it's embarrassing to see them. And I, it is mildly embarrassing that Barack Obama didn't go or didn't send at least his wife or the vice president or the secretary of state or Hillary Clinton, the former secretary of state. Or, so I think it's a big opportunity for Republicans to say, you know what? We certainly, for, especially for Republican presidential candidates, to say, you know, I'm running partly because I'm a Republican. I think Republican alternatives are better than Democratic alternatives, but I'm running as an American, and this is not the America we want to have, and this is not the American stand in the world we want to have. And I, I'm waiting for some Republican to say it. I've got to say I'm a little disappointed in them too. They're busy jockeying and going to fundraisers. Why didn't one of them get on a plane to Paris? You know, there are flights, you know, from right. D.C. and New York and Miami and Atlanta. Last I looked to Paris, and you can go to United and buy a ticket for whatever, a few hundred, maybe a couple of thousand, go 
go upgrade to business class, you know, spend a couple of thousand, <laughs> and uh, get on the plane. And don't even make a big deal of it. Just say, right. you know, this is very important to me, and I'm a senator or I'm a governor, and I wanted to show solidarity. Oh, they all got busy schedules, and, you know, they'd be in the middle of a crowd. Maybe the media wouldn't see them. But it would have been nice if someone had had the wit to do that. Uh, you mentioned the uh, uh, presidential, uh, the Republicans. So let's talk about the presidential candidates. I was uh, uh, horrified when uh, Jeb Bush announced he was already going to run because I'm a Republican who lives by the motto, stay out to Bush's. Uh, yes. Then I saw Mitt Romney show up. I thought, oh, this is perfect. Let Jeb and Mitt wail away and have the kind of fight in the uh, for, for the moderates that has traditionally divided the conservatives. But then it looked, uh, uh, Bill, and there are about 37 conservatives running for president as well. So how is this going to shake out? I don't know. I mean, I kind of think the mood is not to nominate someone who ran in 2008, like Amit or, or Huckabee first did, or Hillary did. I mean, it is deja vu all over again, right? We've got Romney, we've got a Bush, we've got, a, we've got Huckabee, we've got Hillary. And it's really, I mean, we can't have a new next, a new generation take over. I'm, I'm, it's demoralizing, though, for me as a Republican and a conservative, just that, that Mitt and Jeb are going to take up an awful lot of space here, and an awful lot of people are going to get cowed, I suspect, into supporting them or giving money. Some of the other candidates may get intimidated from not running. For me, that this is the test of the next generation, guys. Who's going to stand mm-hmm. up? And I think one of them would be well advised to do so soon. And say, with all due respect to those guys, we need some fresh thinking. We need some fresh faces. I'm running. I'm not intimidated. Sure, will Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney outraise me by 5 to 1, 10 to 1? Mm-hmm. Fine. I'm willing to take them on. Right. If a Marco Rubio or a Scott Walker or a Mike Pence uh, says that, uh, Chris Christie even, I think, you know, I think they would get a fair amount of support, quite a lot of uh, interest. Uh, and I know these governors, they've got their legislative sessions. They don't plan to run until May or June. But sometimes there's a moment where you want to throw out the playbook and adapt. And I think this is a moment for the first guy who's the non-MIT, non-JEB candidate. I don't think it's even that ideological. Of course, that candidate probably would be a little more conservative, a little more of an insurgent. But it's really almost generational and attitudinal as well. One last question for you. Uh, um, uh, much is being made in some circles of fact that Scott Walker, governor of Wisconsin, does not have a college degree. He uh, started Marquette but didn't finish. Do you think not having a college degree makes one more or less qualified to be president of the United States? Bill well, I think, I think it's Harry Truman, the last president, who That's maybe right. didn't have a college degree, and who read, read, however, Plutarch's Lives and was actually extremely well-educated. I think before that we had Abraham Lincoln. I'd kind of like to be in Walker's position <laughs> and have some, have some snotty person say, well, you don't have a college degree, you know? Well, uh, President Obama has shown what you can do <laughs> with a premium college degree while president of the United States. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.